Coming directly from the horseshoe crab capital of the world. Get a leg up and get ready for the hydrant. And now, a man who is the fifth Marx brother, named Bongo. Your host, Jim Cooper. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the hydrant. My guest this week is Ron McCluskey. Now, Ron is a actor, writer, producer, children's book author, comedian, musician, filmmaker. You know, it, the list goes on and on and on and on and on. And uh, first of all, welcome to the show and thank you for doing this. Thank you, Jim. It's, it's an honor to be here. I, I know you've done this for quite a while. So it's uh, a pleasure to finally be on the hydrant. <laughs> I know we've been going back and forth for a while. As you can kind of yeah. see behind Ron, he's been the writer, producer, and or executive producer of a number of different movies about Boris Karloff, which we'll talk about a little bit more. It was Karloff and Me in 2006. And then the poster behind him is The Man Behind the Monster of 2021. And a recent one just came out. Boris Karloff, the rest of the story that came out in October? Well, what we did, Jim, is we interviewed so many people and we had so much footage. We really had to cut out almost half of the movie to make this movie. So wow. when we went to the DVD Blu-ray, we decided, OK, let's get all that lost footage and almost make a second film. And, th and that's what that is. So Boris Karloff, the rest of the story is all those interviews that we couldn't do that first film. Wow, that's cool. That's yeah. cool. I watched yeah. The Man Behind the Monster. That was very good. I mean, I, I, I oh, love the Karloff's movies. It was it was very cool. Um, you can also yeah, catch I, Ron. Know. Go ahead. Go ahead. You no, can no. Also, what, what were you saying? I was going to say, I was telling everyone, you could also catch Ron at his TV show, which is Classic Movies with Ron McCluskey. And that's the URL, Classic Movies with Ron McCluskey at Weebly.com or dot .weebly.com. Right. Sorry. Um He's also, as I mentioned before, a author of a children's book, We Don't Feel Like It, the story of Mickey and Beatty who don't want to go to school. Um, and that came out a few years ago because that's when you and I met again at the book fair in, in Princeton. Yes. Yeah, yeah, that is. And, and I think that was the first time I think you came up to me or maybe I visited your table and we and you made the connection of Westfield, which I was not aware of. Right. Right. So, that was, well, you had such you probably don't even know this, but you had such an impact on me in high school uh, because and obviously movies are a big part of your life. I mean, it's 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 obvious and specifically Karloff. And we'll talk about that in a second. But for those who don't know, which is probably 99.99999% of you, um, Ron made a film in high school. And at that point, The Sting was big. It had just come out. And Ron made a parody called The Stink. And it was shot with friends of his from high school. It was, took place in Westfield. And I can just remember going to the Rialto, the single screen theater, the God rest its soul, um, in Westfield and watching this film and seeing everyone on screen. And I'm like, that is just so cool that you could do something like that. And I ended up making a film of my own senior year high school and then another one in college. So, and for some reason that has always stuck with me of just being in the Rialto and seeing a local film. So the, the, to this day, I still think about it. 
Well, thank you very much. As a matter of fact, it was actually my third film. <laughs> the first movie I made, <clears throat> the first movie I made was called Westfield Story, which was to take off on West Side West Story. Story. <laughs> okay. And it was all silent. And we just <laughs> filmed the jock and, and the greaser. And then they fought. And that was it. So the next one, I wanted to be a little bit more uh, like do a, a parody. But that one was called The Godfather-in-Law. And that was a big hit. And that I ended up playing also at the Rialto. Oh, I So now that. we're on a roll. So we're on a roll. So then we did The Stink, <clears throat> which also was great. And then when we were, we were planning on a, another film, uh, a takeoff on the disaster movies, and that was going to be called Laundromat. 1977 and it was about a laundromat that explodes and all the, the suds eats up a town <laughs> and i did this with a friend of mine who and i'm sure you know this name too fred monticelli you know so fred was my partner in all this stuff the one scene well there's two scenes but the one scene from right. the stink that is burned into my mind and I cannot tell you why because I thought it was right. the funniest thing I'd seen to that point was there was a chase right. going on in the streets of Westfield and Fred yes. is out there yes. and he stops for a red light he's running down the street <laughs> stops to the red light you see a shot of the light changing to green and then he goes I just thought that was like the funniest thing I'd ever seen so uh, I yeah. remember Fred very well very well. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny, Jim, because, you know, what I actually was doing there is, you know, going back to the silence, going back to Kaplan, right. uh, uh, Keaton and Chaplin and, and Stan Laurel. And how do you make something funny without saying anything? Because we couldn't afford a camera with sound. Right. <laughs> we only had. But yeah, so that was so we did. We tried to do as many what they call sight gags as possible. Right. One of my favorites is where Fred meets me in my hotel room. And before I leave, I take my hat and throw it out the window. And then when we get downstairs, I look up and my hat <laughs> comes down and I put it on my head. But no, I, I like the, the traffic lighting. That that was fun, too. That was, so that's great. Well, you know, that's great. You, you remember all that. That's wonderful. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. So let's talk a little bit about your your passion in life, which so far right. it is Boris Karloff. How did right. you get involved with with how did this strike you when did this first come about and say hey this is the guy i want to write about and make movies about and that kind of thing well you know we both grew up in the 60s and in yeah. the 60s you had three things that were going on that were very very big in my mind first of all you had the old monster movies on tv they were late at night on the weekends they were hosted by john zacherly who eventually i met wonderful guy then in the toy stores you had the models the monster models and then, all. of course, you had, yeah, and then, of course, you had Famous Monsters of Filmland on the newsstands. Right. So between those three, I just got caught up on it. And for some reason, when I was seven years old, I got my first Frankenstein model, and I just fell in love. I fell in love with the movie, and then as I got older, I fell in love with the actor. And to me, he was a very big influence on me as far, uh, and to me, his story is just don't give up. Just keep, if you love something, you want to do something, do it and keep doing it. And that's what right. he did. I mean, the man was 44 years old before Frankenstein. He, he was living from film to film. Uh, he technically, he, he should have quit a long time ago, but he didn't. And then he became a star. And I don't think he did not work a day in his life after that success. That's the one thing that came out in, in watching The Man Behind the Monster 
is that he just right. he just kept going and kept going and co- even when he was ailing and ill and old he was still you know doing parts in movies and it's just that was that was his thing and and people probably know him for Frankenstein and know him for the Grinch but that's about it and there right. is this wealth of material out there and characters and movies that he did that a lot of people probably don't even know about. Well, uh, you're absolutely right. And you uh, uh, just hit on two major points of his career, doing Frankenstein, doing Grinch. But the third point of his career, which I think was wonderful, was his impact on Broadway. Uh, The very first show Mm -hmm. he was in was a show written just for him. And it was Arsenic and Old Lace. So that was his debut. Oh, that's right. And there's a, that's right. Yeah. And there's a line in the play where the killer says to him, well, first of all, he's a killer, and his friend is Dr. Einstein, who's a plastic surgeon. So right. he keeps changing his face. But at one point in the play, the guy says, why'd you kill that last guy? And he said, I killed him because he said I look like Boris Karloff. Wow. Now, that's Which, funny when Boris Karloff says it. <laughs> so again, so imagine that. And not only that, he came back to Broadway. He was in one version of Peter Pan. He was in The Lark with Julie Harris, where he was nominated for a Tony. So it's amazing when he was able to do a little bit of everything. And, and he had an amazing recording career. He did many, many yes. records. Uh, and again, great voiceover stuff and just just a fascinating guy and just a great career. You know, and it's, it's funny because you, you bring up the arsenic and old lace thing and you know i've seen the movie obviously the raymond massey and you know the line yeah, is a trigger yeah. line for for him to lose his mind but we if karloff right. was doing it and there was a specific reason why he didn't do the movie i can't remember what it is right now but well was, it just it was contract it was the contract oh, okay. in other words he had signed where again other people from the show could have left but not him because he was the star right. so he knew that he left even for four weeks the play wouldn't do so well but he made his commitment. Uh, so, yeah, so he stayed. And unfortunately, they ended up film. I still think the film is great. I mean, Cary Grant is just. Oh, yeah. It, 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 yeah. So funny, funny movie. And it sat on the shelf for a couple of years because I guess the deal was they could make the movie, but they couldn't release it until the show had closed. And the show Correct. ended up being Correct. such a big hit that the film stayed right. on the shelf for a couple of years. Yeah, uh, and it, it was directed by Frank Capra. So, again, just a wonderful guy. But you're absolutely right. In other words, they had a period of time where they could go in and make the movie, but then they had to hold on to it until, right. you know, because, again, back then, things were different with Broadway shows and films. So, right. yeah, it, you know, it's a shame. It, it's really, it, it's the only, I guess, regret uh, possibly of his career is that he didn't do that. He also wanted to be in a play in uh, England, in London, but that never happened either. So, uh, so he missed that too, because he's he's he was born in England, right? Yeah. Well, <clears throat> his life story is fascinating. His is most of all his entire family, his grandfather, father, all of his brothers were all in the government service. However, they were born in Bombay in India, and back then it was owned by England. So, England. if you were born there, you're still considered a British, uh, you know, part That's of the, that government, yeah. but. There is, you know, that strong connection between Indian blood and his blood, and that's why he had a very dark complexion, because hmm. there was Indian mixings right. within marriages and so forth. So yeah, right. but but they they had moved back, so most of them were based there. But then they moved back to uh, England, London, and about two years later, Karloff was the last one born, 
And yes, yeah, so he truly is an, an English servant. And then when he, he got older, he says, I've got to move back to England. I, I miss it so much. Yeah. So that's what he did. He, he went back and he spent the last three years of his life in England, but he still traveled and, and, and made movies. Right, right. It's he's, it's a fascinating career. And, and, you know, aside from having just such an iconic voice and iconic presence yeah. in, in all his characters, I mean, he's just, it's, if, if, you, if you get a chance, go watch The Man Behind the Monster or Boris Karloff, The Rest of the Story, or even Karloff and Me, uh, just because they're, they're so fascinating, especially if you're a film geek like Ron and I are. You know, it's just, <laughs> it's, you've, you've got to watch it. So uh, that's, that's so cool, so cool. One other personality I want to bring up, and I don't know why this sticks in my mind too, but there was a period of time where you were essentially uh, channeling the spirit of Jerry Lewis for a while. I remember you <laughs> wanting to, looking for the, you came, in fact, I was working in the music staff. You came in and you were dying for a 45 of Jerry Lewis doing Rockabye Baby. And it, it couldn't be had anywhere. I mean, it just could right. not be had. And you would come in every so often to see if we had it. And I was like, no, I, I can't find it anywhere so you were you were a big jerry lewis fan for a long time well i still am and again it's it's so funny because Karloff and lewis they're so so opposite opposite they're so different but, but again i mean i love this man I, I i in fact i loved him so much i went up to the catskills uh my senior year of high school and just went to a few hotels to see if i could get a job brown's hotel said yes that's where Jerry was every summer. So for four summers, I worked in the Catskills, and I had a chance to see and meet Jerry Lewis, which was just the biggest thrill of my life. That's cool. That's cool. And, of course, Jerry does his own tribute to the monster genre and the Nutty Professor with the whole transformation into Buddy Love, but just that whole scene of him turning into a sort of werewolf. And it's just so there is a rough connection there, but it's it's it that's still today is one of my favorite films. I've got to watch it at no, least. No, you're absolutely right. <clears throat> in fact, in doing research, I read a, a biography of Spencer Tracy, and Tracy also did his version of Dr. Jekyll. Yes. But in it, but in it he says something very, very uh, unique. He says, it would have been better if the monster turned out to be a handsome, good-looking man instead of an ugly man. And that's exactly <laughs> what Jerry did. He, yeah. he, <laughs> he took that. And, and he wrote it with another guy who's very, very talented, named Bill Richmond. Bill Richmond yes. was his writing partner. And for seven years, they they did, I think, some of his greatest films. They ended up doing uh, The Errand Boy and um, The Ladies' Man and, of course, The Nutty Professor. Jerry had tried to right. do The Nutty Professor for years. Bill Richmond comes in and helps him get down a little bit better. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. It's just classic. Just classic stuff. So... All right, let me ask you some of these ridiculous questions so people really get sure. to know who you are. And we'll, we'll sure. see, see where this, this this first one we probably already know the answer to, but I'll ask it anyway. What song should play every time you walk into a room? Well, I always fall in love with um, Put On A Happy Face from Bye Bye Bird. Mm -hmm. So that that's probably would have been my favorite, Put On A Happy Face. You know, and I watch that now and I think... Janet Lee. Janet Lee is a song and dance person. I just sorry, psycho's in my mind. I can't I can't deal with it. But 
what the heck? But she was so attractive and and so oh, yeah. cute and and you know and a lot of people uh, you know I believe that Bye Bye Birdie is probably a better film than Grease. I know a lot of people will not agree with this. They think oh, Grease I agree is with the you 100%. Yeah. Film. yeah. But Bye Bye Birdie, I mean those songs and those numbers and dance routines and oh boy, just just great. Now a lot of people said they they ruined the play because they wanted to make a star out of Anne Margaret. But I didn't see the original play, so I can't say how much they really ruined it. All I know is they made a great film. And I had a chance one time to meet Bobby Rydell, who, again, was just great. Now, mm. well, everybody was. I mean, come on, Paul Lind and just everybody. Great I movie. Saw, I saw Bobby Rydell open for Joan Rivers in Atlantic City probably okay. 20 years ago. And, uh, yeah. he, you know, he came out and I wasn't expecting much. He came out and was good with the audience and he just had it. And he was like, he was, a, it was a fun warm up. So God bless yeah. him. That's great. Yeah. So, all right. What pizza topping best represents you? Meatball. I love <laughs> meatballs. And, and here's the thing, Jim, you know, you go, you leave the East coast and I swear they don't know what meatball is. They don't know what meatball pizza is. They'll put ground beef on it. And I keep trying to tell them, I say, okay, you make pizza and you make meatballs, okay? So you slice up the meatball and put it on the pizza. They look at you like you got a third head. But meatball, <laughs> I love them. And my favorite place, I don't know if you know about this place, called Vicks in Bradley Beach. They make the best pizza in the world. If you hmm. like thin crust pizza, it's the best. Okay. And and we were there just the other day, and I had my meatball pizza. <laughs> That's cool. That's cool. What Looney Tunes character best represents you? Uh, I guess Bugs Bunny, because you know he was such a wise cracker, and you know always could outwit anybody, big or small. You know, right. and just you know. Uh, one of my favorite ones. Do you remember the one where they had the two gangsters? One was oh, real sure. big, one was small, and, Mugs and, and thugs. <laughs> yeah, it used to say "shut up, shut up." What I do, boss? Right, right, <laughs> yeah. right, right. <laughs> you know, so, speaking of that, because this is your business voiceover, but some of these actors that did these voices are just, you know, I, I mean, you you have to mention Mel Blanc. But just some wonderful people did great voices throughout oh, the years on, on various cartoons. God, you got Dawes Butler, you got June Foray, you got Stan Freeberg. Right. You know, just just right. the cream of of voiceover work. Alan Reed doing Fred Flintstone and and Mel Blanc doing right. Barney Rubble for a time. You know, it just yeah. it just just the best. Just the best. There's a lot of very talented people doing it now, but that at during that yeah. golden age it was just unbelievable. Just unbelievable. Yes, it was. If you were an ice cream flavor, what would you be? Well, I'm still partial to like just vanilla or just chocolate, but um, I guess chocolate chip mint would uh, would be my favorite. Cool. cool. We get a lot of those. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. This is probably going to be a tough one for you. What movie okay. makes you laugh no matter how many times you see it? I really think the Aaron boy, the Aaron, uh, the Bell boy, you know, Jerry did by himself and, and wrote it and directed it. And it really was his first film. But by the time they did the Aaron boy, I think they had perfected 
uh, that formula. And of right. course, he does this wonderful pantomime called Chairman of the Board, where he sits down at Classic. an empty table. Classic. Uh, just wonderful stuff. But he, he, does, he just does funny things in that film. And he's a funny man. Funny yeah, the, man. The Aaron Boy is is probably my second favorite after Nutty Professor. I watched the okay. Bellboy the other night, and you could see where they were kind of trying to find their wings in that film because it was like just right. one small sight gag after another. There was no real right. narrative that went through it, right. but it was, but it's still so worth watching. Um, well, do you know the uh, backstory of? Do you have time for the backstory on the Bellboy? No. Go, yeah. Go ahead. Okay, so he had made Cinderella, and right. Cinderella was all ready to go, and they said, okay, we're going to release this um, for the summer. And Jerry said, no, it's not a summer movie. It's a Christmas movie. He says, okay, but Jerry, you owe us a film. He says, okay, I'll make you a film. So he was booked to go down to the Fountain Blue Hotel for two weeks to entertain, right. and during the day, <laughs> he wrote and made this movie. So he just, whatever came to his head, He it, and if you notice in the movie, he doesn't even speak because he couldn't even write himself dialogue. Right. And and he had that movie ready for the summer, and it became a huge hit. And that yeah. became the summer movie, and then Cinderella became the winter, the holiday movie. And it was so perfect because he, he plays the foil, he plays the bellboy who doesn't speak, and then he also plays right. himself as the, you know, the, right. the, the superstar <laughs> that has people fawning all of them. So it's, it's just a classic yes. movie. <laughs> Which is funny because, again, you know, they're trained to laugh at everything he says. Right. And at one point he says, yeah, I just came back from the funeral of my uncle who died. And of course, they automatically laugh because they think, well, Jerry talks, he stops, we laugh. Right. It's a classic line. Hold it. Just hold it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Who would play you in a movie about your life? Well, I always, throughout the years, I was told I looked like James Wood um, when I had hair. But he's older than me, so younger than me. I I don't know. I I, that's that that's a difficult one because even though I watch movies, I mean I love actors, you know, that are are great out there. But I don't know. That would be hard. So James Wood, but he's older than me. That's that's a good pick, though. That's the I I can see that. That would definitely be a good pick. Yeah. All right, I'm going to give you two things. It's just a real quick lightning round here, and you just tell me which one you're, you're. favorite is okay uh, pineapple pizza or candy corn a candy corn toilet paper over or under uh over dean martin or jerry lewis uh jerry lewis <laughs> Jeez, surprise surprise <laughs> what boy is, is that a standard question you ask everyone uh, Dean, Martin Dean Martin and Jerry? Jerry? No, I did that specifically oh. for you. This is just oh, like, thank you. <laughs> I like thank to tailor you. these things when I can. Thank you. Thank you. Abbott or Costello? Costello. Mm. Boris Karloff or Lon Chaney? Either one, senior or junior. Well, I think Ch- uh, Chaney senior really paved the way for Karloff. Mm. Uh, but I have to give it to Karloff because again, he 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 embraced being uh, typecast. He embraced his talent, and then he was challenged everywhere along the way, and yet he succeeded. So he was challenged, 
by doing radio, which eventually had his own show, by doing the stage, which he eventually played Broadway, by doing recording. So he really was challenged along the way, and yet I think just, you know, conquered it. Uh, I mean, especially TV with, with with his own TV show, Thriller. Right. Right. So, cool. All right, I got a couple more, and these are all would-you-rather questions, so okay. you'll see what's going on here. Um, would you rather lose the ability to read or lose the ability to speak? Uh, to read. Would you rather have telekinesis, the ability to move things with your mind, or telepathy, the ability to read minds? I move things with my mind. Uh, to me, that's so much fun. I can't imagine wanting to read everybody's mind, but to move stuff around on people, that would be awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Would, be fun. <laughs> would you rather have all traffic lights you approach be green or never have to stand in line again? Uh, traffic lights be green. Yeah, it's a good Jersey answer because that's what you want. <laughs> Do you remember the episode of Superman? Where the robbers figured that out, they had a machine where once they robbed the bank, they could make sure every light was green so they could get away. No, and then Superman I don't remember that one. Them. Yeah, but but yeah, but that yeah that sticks out in my mind. You know wow. the one with George Reeves, the TV yeah. show. Oh, yeah, yeah, I, I, I'm yeah. sure I'd watch them all. But okay, I'm gonna tell yeah, that's yeah. all about. Would you rather have whatever you are thinking? to appear above your head for everyone to see in one of those little cartoon bubbles or right. have absolutely everything you do be live streamed for everyone to see? I guess cartoon bubble above my head. Okay. Okay. That's interesting. <laughs> That's fine. It's we right. get some great answers with that. So, right. Right. Hey, hey, thank you for doing this. I know this has been a while in coming, oh. but but uh, I really appreciate you doing this. It was fun to talk about what we both experienced growing up in Westfield and uh, some of the things that uh, we had in common. So I really appreciate you taking the time to do this. Well, thank you. But and in closing, I just want to say the one thing we didn't t touch on, and that's fine. Well, we got to mention Charles Adams and the Adams family, also from Westfield. Right. And it just seems it's it's a chim. It's amazing that so many creative people has still taken this this family unit and yet, you know, reinvented it and made it into something else. And the latest is this Wednesday on Netflix, right. which is just amazing, just a great show. Right. So right. And I, I mean, can still I can, I can still picture the houses across Broad Street from Fairview Cemetery, and it was in one of those yeah. houses in there, and I can remember. For some bizarre reason, it was like Boy Scouts or Cub Scouts. Uh, I had a, a scout leader that lived in one of them, and I went to one of those houses, and I thought, these uh -huh. houses are really creepy. <laughs> really yeah. Creepy. So, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Absolutely. Right. It's it's uh, it's one of our claims to fame. We have some other ominous claims to fame, but we won't go down no, that I road. No, I know. <laughs> we won't go down that road. Right. So, so, once again, thank you for doing this. I appreciate you taking the time. Thank you, Jim. Appreciate it. And thank everyone that's listening to The Hydrant yep. for uh, joining in. Oh, uh, just real quickly, again, if you want to see this film, Boris Karloff, The Man Behind the Monster, it is streaming on Shudder and Tubi, but you can also buy your own copy. It's on Blu-ray and on DVD.
Right. Right. In fact, I watched it on okay. TV the other night. So thank you for listening Good. and watching, everyone. And right. we'll see you again next time on The Hydra. You made it through yet another episode of The Hydrant. Well done. Big thanks to Allison Steele for episode announcing. For outstanding VO coaching and voice acting services, visit allisonsteele.com. That's Allison with a Y and Steele with no E at the end. And no, she is not the Nightbird. This episode was mixed and mastered by Roman Barry at Voices and Sound Studios. Visit Voices and Sound at voicesandsound.com and ask to see Roman's Aquarium. Shoot me an email with any comments, questions, or worthwhile recipes at bigdog at jimcoopervo.com. Next week, the steady stream of outstanding guests continue as the pack reconvenes at The Hydrant. Thank you for hanging out with us, and be sure to join us next week for more fun and foolishness. 